Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. Contract decisions have been made, and the Revolution offseason is officially underway. The Revolution declined the options of seven players, and another five players are out of contract, leaving the current roster at 18. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is, as usual, is Sean Donahue. Sean, how is it going? You know, I'm I'm doing all right. We had a uh, disappointing Spurs game this morning, but it was followed up by a disappointing game for Liverpool, so all things played out just fine. <laughs> And we're going to be uh, running a little bit long on this podcast, probably. So that counts as your Tottenham talk of the day. I'd love to, uh, you know, drag that out a little bit longer, but um, your disappointment has been noted. Uh, we're also joined by Chris Falukas of Red Revs Revolt. Chris, how are you tonight? Doing fantastic. Uh, I'd be doing a little bit better if it was Revs lifting the cup, but uh, it's pretty nice to see an OG club, uh, you know, raise that that trophy. In their last game at that stadium, too. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's good to – I was rooting for Columbus, too, because you know they had so many COVID tests and all that. I feel like if Seattle had won, that definitely would have been an asterisk championship, and I, I don't think it would have felt right. So uh, I'm glad Columbus won pretty decisively in the end, uh, even though they are our Eastern Conference foe and knocked us out a week ago. I, I think it was well-earned. So uh, enough about other, t- other soccer teams. We're talking about the one soccer team that matters, the New England Revolution, and they had a lot of news this week. They had their contracts, decisions. We talked about it a little bit last week, and I think we got most of our – Predictions right. Uh, players that were uh, under contract that no decisions had to be made. Gustavo Bo, Teon Buchanan, Adam Buxa, Teal Bunbury, Alexander Bootner, Brandon By, Andrew Farrell, Dewan Jones, Henry Kessler, Matt Polster, Justin Renix, Damian Rivera, Matt Turner. So all players that I think people expected to be back, even if uh, they, they had a contract extent or option. Uh, and then extensions, uh, Luis Caicedo, Scott Caldwell, Carles Hill, Brad Knighton, and then Colin Verfirth. Uh, players that had their options declined, Isaac Anking, Jeff Caldwell, Nicholas Firmino, M- Michael Mancien, Kakuta Mane, Christian Pania, Seth Sinovic, and then out of contract, we have Tony De La Mea, Diego Fagundes, Tommy McNamara, Lee Wynn, and Kellen Rowe. So a lot kind of thrown out there, you know, obviously some key contributors gone outside of the starting 11 for the Revs. There's not a whole lot of depth currently on the team. Chris, let me get your key takeaway from this week's roster news. Yeah, I- my takeaway has got to be the international spots that we have available to us. We're now looking at three available spots. We have five filled up and that brings, that creates a lot of room for unique additions to this team. And if you're bringing in an international player, it's going to be someone that you're hoping is going to be making quite an impact more than just a depth piece. If we can bring in three players that are going to be impact players and a team that was already in the 2020 uh, semifinals, that's uh, really exciting to see. Um, so my takeaway is just looking at those international spots and wondering what what are we going to do with it. And I'm excited to see uh, who comes in to fill those spots. Yeah, I think I think that's an excellent point. You look at the the players that the Revolution have as internationals right now: Gustavo Bo, Adam Buxa, Alexander Butner, Carles Heel, and, and Luis Caicedo, and, and all those guys. You can kind of project to potentially be starters next season. Um, so they moved on from two guys and Michael Mancian and Christian Pania, who I think if you're looking, you know, projecting towards right next season, wouldn't be starters based on the revolution roster. So, um, it, you know, like Chris was saying, it makes a lot of sense to have those open roster spots. And you hope that the guys that you're bringing in as internationals are going to be regular contributors, which is, I think, why last offseason we were so surprised when the revolution brought back Michael Mancian to fill a, an international roster spot. Um, there were even some rumors last offseason that maybe he got a green card in some way to try to justify that decision to bring him back. But, it, you know, now they go into the offseason with the flexibility to bring in three international players that you would hope have a bigger impact than Michael Mancian does on this on this team. Yeah. And with no designated players too, 
international spots might be the most valuable asset you have, uh, as, as Chris said, to bring in kind of some bigger name free agents so you can bring on a higher salary. Uh, and, and the guys that are leaving the team, Wilfred Zahibo, uh, who I know they traded last year, but his salary was, I think, in the fives, 525000 Michael Mancien, even though he came back on a reduced salary, was at 400000 uh, Christian Pania at 500000 salary. So, you know, they, they, just on those three guys alone, not only are you opening up those international spots, but you're opening up a big chunk of salary that you can go out and get some new international players that will, will fill in a little bit better. So I, I agree with all those points, and I, I think that's going to be very, very valuable. And if you believe Bruce Arena in his uh, postseason kind of end of year press conference, he said that, you know, even though the pandemic is making it virtually impossible to scout players in person, uh, he's still getting to know players uh, over Zoom and, and getting to meet players that way. And he said he had multiple Zoom conferences that day of the press conference. I guess that was Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, so he, he's very clearly busy in talking to some international players that he's already got his eye on. So well, there there were always uh, jokes about Mike Burns scouting players via VHS tape, which was you know somewhat of a joke and somewhat actually true in some cases. And now in the the COVID era era, that might be coming back. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully we've got something a little bit better than a VHS in Gillette <laughs> Stadium. But I, I don't know. I, I'm sure the Patriots will lend us a, a DVD player or something like that. <laughs> Sean, what was your key takeaway from these roster decisions? I think my takeaway was the same that a lot of people had when they saw this roster, which was the surprise at seeing uh, Nicholas, both Nicholas Firmino and Isaac Anking um, being let go. Uh, you know, maybe they'll bring them back at a you know different contract, or maybe they'll go to Revs too. But to me, um, my assumption is that they're not coming back, and my assumption is that uh, this is a sign of the times with Bruce Arena. Um, you know, in the Mike Burns era, there was a, a clear intent that the Revolution were going to only sign. Um, homegrown players that they were very, very positive, had a long-term future with the club. They weren't going to try to take risks. They, they were going to make sure they're going to hit a home run when they signed a homegrown player. They didn't want to be FC Dallas, a team that you know signed dozens of homegrown players and moved on from a lot of them within a couple of years. Um, that was very much not the MO of the Revs under Mike Burns. I think Bruce Arena's come in, and he doesn't have loyalty to these guys. You know, it wasn't Bruce Arena that signed them to homegrown contracts. It wasn't Bruce Arena's academy that brought these players up. Um, so, I, I, you know, Bruce Arena saw these guys for a year and a half. To me, that's enough time for him to have made a decision that, um, you know, at 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, they're not going to necessarily make it as an MLS player. Um, you know, again, maybe they end up coming back at Revs 2. I don't necessarily see that happening. It's a possibility. Um, but I think that we're seeing a new era now where it's more about, you know, signing these guys. And, you know, a- after three seasons, if they're not going to be making the first team, time to move on. They gave Zach Haravu five seasons, and I think it was probably obvious before five seasons that he wasn't going to be a regular contributor to this team. Um, Bruce Arena is not going to do that. Three seasons for these guys, one and a half under him was enough for him to say that, you know, it's time to move on. Um, and I'm curious if we see the revolution not necessarily become FC Dallas. I think FC Dallas, part of the reason they signed so many guys is that they have such a talented academy. But it wouldn't surprise me if you see the revolution start to sign more homegrown players. And uh, part of that, too, is because now there's revs, too, for them to play on. Um, but take more risks in that and and be less scared of, of signing a that doesn't work out and having that you know be a black mark on the team. Um, I do think Mike Burns kind of looked at it that way, where if you, you know, had a homegrown player that didn't work out, it was kind of a black mark on Mike Burns. Um, I don't think Bruce Arena necessarily feels that way. And I think the first signs we're seeing of that are Nick Firmino and Isaac Anthony with, again, the, you know, the caveat being that, you know, he doesn't have loyalty to them because they weren't his signings. I, I guess 
I was surprised by the move, but the more I think about it, the more it kind of makes sense that Bruce Arena's come in. He's got a different idea of how things should be run. And I think this is an indication uh, of, of maybe what we're going to see as a trend going forward that, you know, we might see the revs cycle through homegrown players more where there's not going to be that fear of if I sign this guy, I'm making a five year commitment to give him a chance. Um, you know, if I sign this guy and after two or three years, he's not working out, we can move on. Yeah, and I'll also say that I took away the same thing. I was really shocked at the them being cut. I assume their roster spots were safe, um, and, and we can break down the supplemental roster a little bit later. Um, they don't occupy senior roster spots. I, I didn't expect them to be gone. I, I figured, as I say, I, I thought Firmino had a very, very solid season uh, with Revs 2. Isaac Enking, I've always been a fan of, and he's shown flashes of potential, but I, injuries have really worn him down, and they wore him down last season, too. For those that don't know, he, I think he was in the United States U-17 pool. Um, he, he made his first team debut a few seasons ago at New York City FC, uh, and, and just has really not had a great, you know, been very unlucky with some health problems and whatnot, and it just seems to have really have spurred his development. So um, Isaac Anking is 20, Nicholas Firmino is 19. They're still youth team prospects, but um, yeah, I, I think overall Bruce Arena is looking at the players he has on the first team, and he sees that they're kind of blocked from, from where they are right now. Nicholas Firmino, I don't think, can break in through the attack, and Isaac Anking, if they're going to bring in another central midfielder, uh, you have you have Scott Caldwell there blocking him. You have Luis Caicedo, you have Matt Polster, and then apparently you have a new signing uh, if that's a, a position they decide to address. So Isaac King is also um, kind of blocked there overall. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a bit of tough luck overall. And I think Bruce Arena says, you know, we're, we're probably not going to need these players. Uh, so why are we paying them $70,000? And and just to just just to add there, I, you know, I, I didn't see too much of the Revs 2 this year. But from talking to people that that did see a lot of Revs 2 this year, um, there seemed to have been more surprised by the fact that Firmino wasn't brought back and uh, maybe less shocked by the fact that Isaac Anking wasn't brought back. And I, I do think, unfortunately for Anking, you know, he has had those those health problems. Um, unfortunate that that happened, but I do think that kind of stunted his development a bit. Um, and at the same time, you know, he's he's 20 now, but he turns 21 in January. And when you've been with a professional club for three years and you're, you know, going into your fourth season, you're going to be 21. Um, you know, at that point, uh, in that in your career, you're, yes, you're still very young, but you start to expect that you're going to be having a chance to make it into the first team. And if Bruce Arena saw that at 21, he was still a, a ways away from making it into the first team, you know, that one makes more sense to me. Firmino's another year younger. Um, so, you know, you think maybe you'd give him more of a chance with the, the supplemental roster spot. But um, at least from, you know, talking to people that have paid more attention to Revs 2 and see more Revs 2 games than I have, it seems like there's more surprise about Firmino than there is about Anking. Revolution Report asked us one of our, our, our listener questions. He kind of said the same thing. He says, what happened with Firmino and Anking? Do you think they were offered Revs 2 contracts? Worth noting that I'd say Firmino was more impressive than uh, Rivera this past season for Revs 2. He also noted on Twitter that uh, Isaac Anking posted a photo of himself in Revolution gear. So maybe, I mean, that's a little bit of speculation if Anking is coming back. Uh, it might have just been Isaac Anking was working out and just was using his old gear or something like that. So uh, TSB11 also said what's going on with Firmino and Anking. So I think uh, the big surprise from a lot of people were Firmino and Anking leaving. So Chris, uh, I'll let you get on a word here. Did you have any thoughts on Firmino and Anking leaving? And were you also surprised? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. And... When you were talking about Anking, I thought that he really impressed in the midfield uh, when he was healthy. Uh, he really showed that he could command the midfield. So just seeing that they didn't want to move forward with him and hearing that it's unlikely that he's going to sign a Revs 2 contract uh, was a little bit surprising. Uh, and similarly with 
was it Firmino? I didn't watch a ton of Revs 2 either, but I did watch some. I've seen Firmino hit some really beautiful free kicks. Uh, he had two goals. I think one of them was disallowed. They were both fantastic shots that were... It wasn't because there was a USL one keeper in net. It was because there was no no keeper stopping that. Just just to see both of those talents and to see what think what could have been and to think that you know they're not going to be carrying on with the revs was definitely coming as a shock. But to your point, Greg, I think it's a lot of where are they going to fit into the senior team? How are they going to if they come up? How many hurdles do they have to overcome? And are they going to do that? Is it worth hanging on to them at this point? And there might be a bit of why don't we focus on developing some other young guys right now? There's there's no room for these players to move up, and Revs two is supposed to be more of, more of a developmental side than it is supposed to be a winning side. Um, so I think that might be some of the thought process, but I'm purely speculating on that. And, and just a quick a quick comment on one of those comments that you raised um, about comparing Firmino to Rivera. I think it is important to point out that Rivera is a full two years younger than Firmino. Rivera was 17 this season with, with Revs 2 and Firmino is 19. You know, Rivera will be 18 next year. Firmino will be 20. That's a big difference. That's that's a very big difference. So if, if Firmino was impressing more than Rivera, that's great. But, you know, there's a two year gap there. So I think there's a lot more room for Rivera to grow. Yeah, and if you're not going to bring up Firmino this year, when will you bring them up? And if there's no clear answer, I think that's what led them to part ways with Firmino. And I think Justin Rennix is also ahead of him as well. You know, Justin Rennix is currently straddling the Revs 2 and first team. And then, of course, you have a DP like Buxa. And if Buxa is not going to be around, they're going to bring in some other DP striker, you'd have to think. Uh, and and. And just one last point is Rivera too had a really good preseason with the Revs first team. Um, again, didn't I watched a couple Revs two games, not as many as I would have liked to, but Rivera did impress for the first team in preseason. I think that is something working for him too. And again, two years younger. And if you're going to bring in Rivera long term, what do you need Firmino for? In terms of Revs two contracts, the reason why even even if they do get offered Revs two contracts, um, which uh, according to reports is not happening. Matt Bluestein of Believe in Boston Sports reported that they will not be uh, re-signing with Revs 2. Uh, and then Chris Creighton also of Believe in Boston Sports had a nice piece on Nicholas Firmino. He interviewed him this week and Nicholas Firmino says he does not expect to get a Revs 2 contract offer. Um, the reason why I, I don't think that matters too much is I don't see either of those players accepting a Revs 2 offer if they're not going to be getting paid uh, like a senior team player. They essentially just got demoted uh, and it seems pretty clear that the Revs don't see them in their long-term plans. So I expect both these guys to go to a USL championship side, uh, which, you know, I assume pays a lot better than a USL league one team. Um, I don't think any, either of these guys will be signing with an MLS team soon, but um, they're both pretty young. Uh, Nicholas Firmino was in the uh, nominated for young player of the year uh, in with USL league one. So he's going to have suitors for sure. So I expect both of these guys to be in demand and, and look for a pretty solid USL championship side to land with. The one other thing too, I'll, I'll say, which might be a potential explanation to why this has happened. It is a pandemic and I know team, you know, we want craft to spend, we want them to spend a little bit more money. Um, but you know, the reality is that a lot of teams are cutting back right now. They're, they're doing a lot of layoffs. MLS cut 20% of their, uh, workforce at the league office. So there's going to be some budget cuts and Anking and Firmino both made about $70,000 last year. So I think they saw them as expendable and, you know, they, they might've been just a casualty of the pandemic and cutting costs which kind of sucks when you, you look at it from a competitive standpoint. But as I say, not a, not a whole lot of minutes for them going forward, probably. And 
took up a roster spot and took up some money. So I, I think that's just an unfortunate reality of the business right now. Yeah, no, completely agree. And, and you know, I don't, you know, I think we're going off their salaries from, from 2019. It's possible. It's quite possible that they had contracts that, you know, had incremental increases. So I, I can't imagine they're making much more than 80,000 or something, but I, they were probably making a little bit more than 70 this year. Uh, so overall, if you're looking at the roster, 18 out of 30 spots are taken. That's and also 12 out of 20 senior roster spots taken. So we can expect some uh, MLS veterans and some international spots to kind of fill up that roster. Uh, there, there's certainly a lot of space for some solid veterans to come in and make an immediate impact. Uh, in terms of the supplemental roster, six out of 10 spots are taken. Basically, what that means is, you know, that's for draft picks. That is for homegrown players, et cetera, et cetera. So not a whole lot of room for, for youth players. Obviously, Firmino and Ankin kind of open up two additional spots. But I don't expect to see a lot of players, you know, signed this offseason in, in terms of the youth ranks. Uh, and then, as we said, five out of eight international spots are taken. And I also, using 2019 data uh, and kind of some reported numbers, I took a stab at it on how much cap space we have. And my guesstimate is about 2.7 million in cap space. So don't treat that number as a solid uh, 100% known number. But uh, I, I have that about the revs, so about 2.7 million in cap space uh, plus, and that includes 1.65 million in general allocation money. So if you guys want some numbers to kind of guess and, and have an idea of what they're playing with, uh, that's kind of what we're going for. Speaking of uh, depth pieces and players that we might see back on the senior roster, Bruce Arena apparently said this week on uh, Zoe and Bertrand that he expects up to five players back. Uh, so we got some questions about that. Ronnie Small says, out of the, the, of the out-of-contract players, who's most likely to come back on a reduced salary? And then we got a, a couple of other questions. John Pilkington said, who do you hope and who do you think will be re-signed and given an extension? Uh, and then Revolution Report says, do you think Lee Wynn will come back? So all those kind of touch base. Sean, I'll go to you first. Um, up to five players come back. Who, who do you think of the players that are out of contract or had their options declined? Who do you think might re-sign with the reps? Yeah, I, I think it's most of the guys that are out of contract. Um, I think De La Mea, if he you know was willing to take a, a little bit of a reduction in his salary, would make sense to come back. Um, you know, of the, of the two center backs, I think it, 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 there's some sense to bring one of the two of them back. Um, unless Mancien gets a green card to me, it makes a lot more sense to bring De La Maya back. Um, you know, I could see Kellen Rowe coming back. I think there were times this season where he looked good for Bruce arena. Um, what is he? Is he 30 now? I mean, he's, he's still not that old. You could bring him back. Um, I, we have no idea what Kellen Rowe was making this season. I'd be very interested to know that, but, um, it wouldn't shock me if he came back. He was only on contract for this year. Um, Lee Wynn, it, it wouldn't shock me if he came back again. I think he, he's probably making more money than you would like to be paying him at this point in his career. So, you know, he'd have to be willing to take a reduction. Um, and obviously, you know, contract negotiations with the revs have been contentious, um, with Lee Wynn in the past, but those were the Mike Burns era. So it wouldn't shock me if he was back. Um, and you know, maybe Tommy McNamara too, I, you know, I don't know if it makes sense to bring all of those guys back. A lot of them are playing the same positions, but um, you know, two or three of them would make sense to extend it to five players. Seems a bit much to me. Um, you know, maybe Diego. We know they offered him a contract. Maybe if, if Diego, you know, strikes out in free agency, he comes ends up coming back at the the three hundred k they originally apparently offered him. But I don't know. Looking at the guys that had their options declined, I don't know why you would decline Jeff Caldwell's option because I can't imagine it was for that much if you intend to bring him back. And, you know, I guess Christian Pena and Kahuta Mane are probably two guys too 
that are making way more money than they should be making for their contributions. So maybe those are guys that you try to bring back at a reduced salary, particularly Mane, because he's not an international. Um, but if, if I were to guess, I'd say the five guys that are out of contract, as opposed to the guys whose options are declined, are the five guys that Bruce Arena is thinking about. I, I don't think there's any chance Seth Nova comes back. I don't think there's any chance Jeff Caldwell comes back. And, you know, based on what we're hearing, it sounds like Isaac Anking and Nicholas Firmino aren't coming back. So that's where I land is, is the out-of-contract guys, or, or maybe there's still a chance they come back. Chris, what do you think? Uh, who do you think might be coming back, and who do you want to see come back? Yeah, you know, uh, Sean, you pretty much hit on all my points as well. Uh, I have De La Mea and Wynn as the two most likely to come back. De La Mea mostly because, you know, we need the center-back depth, and uh, he doesn't take up an international spot, like you are saying. And it makes sense to bring back one of the ones that we already have. We do now have the news of John Bell, so maybe that throws a wrinkle in the in the plans here. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see De La Maya back and then win. I think I think that we saw what happens when Carly's heel is not available to play and how much this team falls apart, how much Gustavo Bo is not ready to fill those shoes. Uh, so being able to have somebody be able to step in and, you know, take over the playmaking duties in case Carly's heel gets hurt. Someone like Wynn is is very valuable, but he would have to be on a much reduced salary, and you don't know how many more opportunities he's going to be getting in the league. So I think those two, uh, partic- in particular, I think have a very good chance of coming back. Do I think Lee will come back for for? Yeah, I do. The one thing I'll say about Tony De La Mea, and Sean, you you kind of brought his name up first. The one thing that I think makes Tony De La Mea interesting is that he's not eligible for free agency. So if a team were to inquire about him. They would have to acquire, or if, they, if a team in MLS wanted to sign him, the, the Revs would get I don't know, some allocation money or an asset back in a trade. Uh, he, he doesn't have the five years of MLS experience to um, be granted free agency. So I, I think that might be tying Dillamy up back to New England. So even though he had his, oh no, he didn't have his contract decline. He's out of contract. Yeah, I, I think Delamay is an interesting name and the Revs obviously need the center back depth. So, you know, if you offer him 200000 does he come back? He doesn't take up a, an international spot. I, I think that might work out for him. I think Kellen Rowe is also a guy that may be coming back. Chris, you seem pretty confident about Lee Wynn. I, I, I think he's a really good fit for the Revs. Uh, and I think the Revs might, if they if they can get him back, even if you have to overpay him a little bit, what you think he's worth, um, I, I think that's worth it just because exactly what you said, that you know we've seen this team without Carly's heel. Having a second playmaker is a really, really big help. And I, I think Kakuta Mane, I mean, he's at a pretty low point in terms of his worth. Um, he does have free agency, but you know, if he was a good clubhouse guy, they could use some depth on the wings. Um, you know, if he comes back on a one-year deal, probably a similar contract to what Kellen Rowe signed last year, I could see him coming back. So, yeah, I think those are all guys that you know ha- have a decent chance of coming back. Tommy McNamara kind of might fit in that uh, Kakuta Mane uh, spot too, or maybe he enjoys time in New England and is willing to come back on a one-year flyer or something like that. But um, yeah, th- those are kind of the guys that I. I point to and, and look for. Um, and Sean, if you were listening to our own podcast last week, you'd know why Jeff Caldwell's contract was declined. It's because he would have who would have had to have moved to the senior roster. And uh, the Revs likely wouldn't carry three. I, I don't think they want to carry three goalkeepers on the senior roster. So I think that's just kind of a tough luck uh, for him. They just rather have um, Brad Knighton over uh, Jeff Caldwell. So I'm going to call you out there. Well, and we know that uh, Bruce Arena is someone that that uh, likes his his veteran players. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised that Knighton, what is he, you know, thirty five now, is is someone that he's bringing back. Um, and you know, maybe that's a, a foreshadowing for the off season too. That you know, when you look at the the MLS free free agents that are available, 
Um, don't be surprised if Bruce Arena signs some of the the more aging guys out there. Um, actually, Knighton's going to be 36 going into next season, but don't be surprised if, if Bruce Arena signs some of the more aging guys out there. And and remember, last year you were limited to two free agent signings, and Bruce Arena used that on Seth Sinovic and Kellen Rowe. I think if that you know if the the CBA is ratified, I believe that limitation is gone. So. Again, don't be surprised if Bruce Arena ends up bringing in uh, a number of MLS veterans that are over 30 uh, next season because that has been how he's operated in the past. Chris Creighton also uh, asked us something along these lines. Which one of these revs that have been granted free agency do you think will find a decent home? We can extend this to the people who have had their options declined. Uh, and I assume that means who will find a decent home elsewhere. Chris, I'll start with you. Which one of these players that have uh, had their options declined or are out of contract do you see uh, finding a team elsewhere in uh, a, a nice spot and a nice situation. So if we're thinking that every single player that has been declined or out of contract theoretically is not going to come back to the revs, I have to look straight ahead and say Kellen Rowe is probably a very uh, uh, an easy choice, I guess, to say is someone that's going to find find a good home somewhere. And then the young guys, uh, Anking and Firmino, I would not be surprised to see them end up somewhere playing behind. I I don't have a, a teams in my in mind mind right now as to where they might go but playing behind a starter maybe that's near the end of their contract and learning the way of a a new team that way preparing for minutes you know in the next couple of years um to really take on a starting role there so the young guys i would definitely watch for and then yeah kellen rowe is the other one i think that could easily land anywhere uh and fit in as long as it's not rsl or skc I mean, I, I think realistically, you have a lot of guys on this list that are at low points in, you know, in, in their value right now. Um, you know, we talked about when some of these trades were made that a, a guy like a Kudamane was kind of a, a throwaway in some of these trades or, you know, so I, I think when you go through the revolution list, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people looking to sign Seth Sinovic after the season he's had. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people looking to sign Kudamane after the past several seasons he's had. Um, unless he's willing to take a massive pay cut, um, you know, Lee Wynn age wise is at the tail end of his career. Um, so it would make sense for maybe the revolution to resign him, but I don't think he's going to be a hot commodity. Kellen Rose, a guy that's, you know, had a couple of down years. Um, you know, maybe there'd be another MLS team willing to sign him again, if he's willing to take a pay cut, uh, you know, Tommy McNamara is again towards the end of his career and coming off of some not great season. Um, to be honest, if I'm looking at this, this list and who's going to land on their feet, uh, Diego Fagundes is probably the one with the most value, uh, as rough as a year as he's had, and you know, he's still 25 years old. Uh, he's had some really good MLS seasons in the past. The past two years hurt him. Um, but he's the one guy that you look at as he's proven he can play in MLS. He's 25 years old. You know, he he's due for a career revival, uh, potentially somewhere else. So I, I, I think that there's going to be more offers for him, maybe not at the level of salary he's hoping for, but if he's willing to you know, take something under 400,000, I think he's going to be a guy that lands on his feet. Um, the rest of these guys, I, I don't necessarily know. De La Mea, you know, if the Revs don't re-sign him, I'm sure he'll find somewhere to play. It may not be in MLS. It may be back in Europe. Um, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, everyone else on that list, I think Ann King and Firmino probably do end up in USL Championship. Uh, Jeff Caldwell, I think he probably ends up in USL Championship um, so, you know, uh, looking at this roster, the one guy, the guy I feel most confident about, I would say is Diego Fagundes, despite the fact that he's had two down years. 
Well, let's get into Diego Fagundes because there's certainly a lot of news about him, and I'm kind of surprised it lasted this long before we got there. But, um, you know, talking about the supplemental roster and Isaac Yanking and Nick Firmino, I, I think uh, we, we find very thrilling. Diego Fagundes, um, a couple stories came out. First, Frank DeLapa from the Boston Globe had a story. Sean Sweeney of uh, Bay State Soccer Sentinel had a story. And then Jonathan Siegel of New England uh, Soccer Journal also had a story. All interviews with Diego Fagundes uh, talking about his time with the Revolution in the final months. Um, basically, the story that has uh, happened is that the New England Revolution made an offer to Diego Fagundes in early October um, for multiple years, which I think was two years, at 300000 each year. And um, Diego Fagundes and his camp countered with a contract offer for 600000 at which point the Revolution basically had a hard, uh, nope, sign it or you know leave it. Uh, they gave a final date of November 1st, which was the uh, date of the last game at home, uh, which, if you remember, Diego Fuentes did not make an appearance in. The Revolution had hyped up all week that he would be breaking the internet, uh, the, the appearance record, uh, and then Diego Fuentes did not appear in that game, and then he did not appear the next week in Philadelphia. So um, it seems like Diego feels that that is related to the contract issue. Uh, and if you remember, Sean, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Diego's dad tweeted out on November 2nd, uh, that if to play or get a record, you have to sign what they tell you. Uh, what it is is to put pressure. Ha ha, bye bye. And I remember we were confused at that one. Uh, that apparently is tied to this contract uh, scenario. So, um, Sean, uh, now that it's all out in the open, what are your thoughts on uh, the Diego Fagundes saga? How does this impact your view of Diego Fagundes? Um, do you have any sympathy for Diego Fagundes and how it was handled? Um, and if you do you think the revolution did the right thing? You know, I think the revolution are doing the right thing by moving on. Um, I think, again, Diego's had a couple of down years. Uh, you know, there isn't a lot of room for him on this roster. You know, he talked about in some of these articles that you know he's best as, you know, either a number 10 or kind of playing on the left wing. Um, there were very few minutes for him in those roles on this current revolution team. And, you know, maybe if Pania and Kakuta Mane are both gone, there's some more minutes for him. But, you know, you still have Justin Rennix that could be fighting for, for time there. Um, you know, Dewan Jones and Tejan Buchanan when they're playing in midfield, Teal Bunbury. So I think it makes sense for the revolution to move on. Um, I think a $300,000 contract offer to Diego Fagundes is fair, you know, based on what we've seen over the past two seasons. At the same time, I do think Diego Fagundes has been underpaid professionally throughout his career. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you have to look to his agent, which is his father, uh, and, you know, question that maybe he should have not sign those contracts, or maybe you should have negotiated better deals in the past. Um, you know, he's been under team control for a very, very long time. Um, and, you know, I, there were rumors that there have been offers for his services in the past and the, the transfer price hasn't been there. But, you know, you have to question his agent if you're questioning the fact that his contract hasn't been good enough. Um, and I think Diego wants to get paid for past performance and being underpaid in the past. Um, but his past two years haven't justified that. So, you know, Bruce Arena wasn't the reason that Diego Fagundes was underpaid in the past. Um, you know, either his, you know, you can put the blame on Mike Burns or you can put the blame on Diego's father. You can't put the blame on Bruce Arena. And I think Bruce Arena has to make the decision that's best for the Revs. And the decision that was best for the Revs was say, you know, hey, Diego, you know, we appreciate what you've done for the team. We're going to offer you a $300,000 contract. We think that's fair. Diego came back with, or Diego's dad came back with, we want twice that. Um, and, you know, the Revs didn't really want to budge much from 300000 because that's, 
what Diego's probably worth based on the past two seasons. I feel sympathy for Diego. He's been on the team for 10 years. I don't think he's been paid as much as he's deserved. Um, but the reality is the past two years haven't been great for him. He's talked about why that is. And I think it's fair to say that part of that is because you're, you know, they're kind of trying to play him as a number eight and that's not really his position. Um, and you know, some of the way he was playing as a number eight, eight was because that's how he was asked to play, but there just aren't, reality is there aren't that that many minutes for him as a winger and he did get some chances as a winger under Bruce Arena he did get some chances filling in for Carlos Hill you can say it wasn't enough of a chance but in those chances he did have I don't think he looked particularly good so you know for the revolution I think this is the the right move to do and for Diego I get where he's coming from but I also think the reality of the situation is that you know he's not worth much more than 300,000 a year based on what we've seen the past couple seasons. Chris, let's get your take. What do you think about the Diego Fagundes situation? Yeah, I was surprised to hear that the Revolution made an offer in the first place. Uh, I felt like, you know, the way this year was going, there was not even going to be any offer. Uh, So the fact that they got one and then he asked for double was even more shocking. 300K seems more than fair. And it seems like the club reaching out saying, you know, you've done a lot of great things for us. We would like to see you in a Rev shirt in the future, but I don't know. It could be a way of saying the Revs still want to sell more jerseys because Diego is probably one of the, one of, or if not the most marketable player that they have. And maybe they want him for that reason. And I'm not really sure, but 300 K seems more than fair. Um, and if my research is correct, so please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, a player that's going to be signed with Tam would be, a five hundred, basically five hundred thousand a year salary, uh, is when you start bringing Tam in to buy them down. So basically, he is asking to be paid like a Tam player uh, at six hundred k. Yet he's been sitting on the bench for the better part of two years. I know he's played in a lot of games, had a lot of appearances, but um, he hasn't been starting a majority of those games, and the numbers are not there. Um, I don't have his stats right in front of me right now, but I. I I know it's been three goals, I think it was, in the last two years, uh, and one assist, I think, this year, all year. And the the issue, too, with um, Diego, and I think we're kind of hitting it, is that Diego wants to be paid like a starting 10. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it is. And he feels he's a starting 10, which is, as you said, Chris, he, he wants to be a TAM player. That's how he feels he is. That's what he was for this team uh, under Brad Friedel. He was also a star winger. You know, he, he was team MVP in 2013. I think he was the Midnight Riders man of the, the year in 2017. He also had a very solid year as the 10 uh, in 2018 before he was replaced by Carly's heel. I have, I, I, I think it's fair for him to take that stance, but he needs to understand the revolution don't view him as a starting 10. And the revolution's contract offer is reflective of that. Um, they, they view him as a six to eight, you know, type player, central midfield player, backup substitution, come off the bench type guy. And, and that role doesn't get you $600,000. And so I, I think Diego Fagundes is, is fine to be confident in where he is. And even if he's not expecting to get paid 600000 I think that offer is just so much further away from where the revolution value him right now that, you know, it's like the guy in your fantasy football league that when you send him a trade offer and he sends you back an offer that's so far like away from what you are hoping for and what you're expecting, you just don't even want to deal with him. Um, I'm that guy, by the way. Well, <laughs> no one likes you, Chris. <laughs> I know. You are you are the Diego's dad of fantasy football. That's what I'm learning here today, Chris. I, I do think Diego has a point, though, because it, it, it was brought up in one of the pieces that he, he's made $1.5 million over 10 years. 
And, you know, I, I don't agree with Diego's classification that that's essentially playing for free. Um, but when you watch, you know, Claude Dielna come in on $900,000 and you watch Michael Mancien come in on a million dollars and then $400,000 when his contract is renegotiated, um, you know, you, you see guys like Christian Panini and Michael Mancien make more in two years than you do in 10 years. Um, I, I'd be pretty pissed off about it, too. And it's pretty clear that Diego Fagundes has gone to them and asked them for a new contract probably through three coaches. He's probably asked for one in the Jay Heaps era. He's probably asked for one in the Brad Friedel era. I know he, he mentioned that Brad Friedel offered him a contract that was above what he was offered by Bruce Arena. Um, and then Bruce Arena is offering him a contract now. So I, I think this is a Scotty Pippen-like scenario where, you know, he signed a long-term deal when he was young. I don't think he understood his market value. Uh, and, and I think halfway through he realized he was getting pretty screwed by it and the Revs had no interest in renegotiating a, a team-friendly deal. Well, you look at his 2018 season and he's brought that up a lot in these interviews because that was a highlight season for him. Nine goals and 10 assists is really impressive for any midfield player. Um, and he was making $170,000 as his base salary that year to get nine goals and 10 assists out of a $170,000 player is phenomenal. And, you know, a fantastic team friendly deal for the team at that point. But then you look at the past two seasons, two goals and three assists and 13 starts, 25 appearances, 2019, one goal, zero assists this year and, and 19 games, nine starts, you know, again, it's not a completely fair comparison because he was playing a lot as a number eight, which isn't his strongest position. Um, but he did still get opportunities at his best positions and he didn't look particularly well. The, you know, I think we got a, a question about Brad Friedel's legacy um, that we'll get to later. But you, you look at 2018 and Diego Fagundes was one of the few players, I think, that under Brad Friedel actually improved um, because Diego Fagundes played really well as that number 10 in a in a team system where everybody was pressing and were they were playing purely on the counterattack. He worked really well in that system. And now the revolutionary team that can actually play in possession when Carles Heel is healthy, when you know Lee Wynn may be out there, they're a team that's capable of playing on the front foot and playing in possession. And we've seen less of an ability of Diego Fagundes to thrive in that kind of system. Um, and I think going forward, it's again, you're not going to see the Brad Friedel system of pressing for 90 minutes and trying to create turnovers and counterattack. I think you know, Bruce Arena has built a team where they don't have to rely on that. And I think when they're not relying on that, we haven't seen that Diego Fagundes can be the same type of player that can put up those numbers. Um, and, you know, for that reason, I think you know, for both parties, it probably makes sense to move on. I think this is just the unfortunate reality of sports where when things end, rarely do they end well. And I, I think Diego Fagundes has certainly deserved a lot more than what he's gotten from the revolution. Um, but I, I think from a business perspective, I, I think the Revs are acting in their self-interest and, and doing the right thing. And I'll say another thing too, and some people have said that this contract offer that the revolution have made is not respectful, more or less. Those are the, the wording that I've heard. I, I think I agree with Chris here. I'm pretty surprised the revs made an offer at all. First off, um, cause it seems like this is not going to be a, a pairing that's going to last much longer. Um, but also two years, $300,000. I thought it, it kind of exceeded my expectations. He made 200,000 last year. I'm kind of surprised the revs went up a little bit and gave him a 50% raise. Um, I, I asked on Twitter, uh, if you were the revs, what would your contract offer to be to Diego Fagundes? One person said two years at 400,000. One person said one year, 500 to 700,000, which is kind of that TAM money that I, I think is uh, a little bit high. But um, one person said one year, 250,000. 
Uh, two people said they would not make an offer. Uh, and then one person said, if I was the revs, I'd offer 300 to 400 K, but a- another team might offer one year, 500 K. And I think that's, that's where this is, why there's such a big divide. I, I think someone might take a chance on Diego Fagundes as a starting player. He's 25 years old. I could see someone reaching out to him and giving him a one year, $500,000, $450,000 contract offer to be a starting 10, maybe with a, you know, one year team option, um, and, and try to see if he, he can bring back that 2018 form. Um, but I, I don't think the Revs have any interest in playing him in that role. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Diego and how this all has been handled. If Diego can go out and get his money, good for him because he does deserve it. Best of luck to him from my perspective. I, I want I want nothing to, but to see him succeed. And, you know, go get your money, kid. I bet there's a team out there with less depth than the Revolution that could use Diego Fagundes and maybe, you know, a 400K salary somewhere else makes sense. Uh, you know, if I'm the Revolution, I could have justified a 400K salary to Diego Fagundes after 2018, maybe at a 450K salary after to Diego Fagundes after 2018. But we're two years past that, and you have to look at what's been happening over the past two years and what the reality is. I, I, I do think that there's a team out there um, with less depth than the revolution that Diego Fagundes could help. Um, I just don't think the revolution are a team where his role, you know, if he were to resign for $300,000, I, I don't see his role increasing dramatically next year. I don't see, you know, why that would change. So it just, for, for everyone involved, I think what's happening was the correct decision. And even when Lee Wynn was out, uh, Diego Fagundes didn't really get a lot of minutes at the 10. Um, we didn't really see that kind of you know, confidence in him playing the attacking midfielder role. So um, I, I think it's disappointing overall. And Sean, I know I texted you this. Um, we got asked by James Downing uh, if there's any comps uh, for Diego Fagundes on, out on the op- open market. And the answer really is no, um, because free agency, you know, it used to be you needed eight years of MLS service. Now it's down to five. Um, so there's not many 25-year-olds that have hit free agency. I'm pretty sure Diego Fagundes is the first one. Um, but I was trying to think of players that, you know, might have been hyped up four or five years ago that, you know, have had a couple of rough few seasons and maybe have been brought down a couple notches. And, you know, I was kind of browsing, you know, free agent contracts and all that. And the one name that came up that I think is the most comparable, even though it's not remotely close to comparable, is Breck Shea. Um, he, he signed with Atlanta, uh, I think, after Vancouver let him go. He signed a one-year $225,000 contract. I think he was 27 or 28, um, and obviously he's a left back. He's he's not a attacking midfielder, so you got to adjust salary there. But that's a guy with international experience who was with the United States men's national team. Played in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I if if I would love for Diego Fagundes to get his money and get a, a half a million dollar contract. I don't know if he gets a contract above four hundred thousand dollars. I'm happy for him. I, I I'm. I'm a little concerned he might have overplayed his hand here, and I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful he it, the situation works out for him because New England's not working out for him. But I, I think as we started this conversation with, I think he wants to be paid for past performance, and I'm not sure any teams other than the Revolution would do that. Uh, so I, I'm hopeful he lands in a really nice spot, and I'm, I'm hopeful he he gets a very very nice contract out of it because he definitely deserves it. Um, even though I'm rooting for him, I can't blame what the refs did here. Just another quick point on the comps comparison too is, you know, we haven't seen somebody his age uh, become an MLS free agent because of what the rules are. And also, you know, more importantly, the, the new CBA takes away, I believe takes away the limitations that we had in the past where you couldn't give an MLS free agent significantly more money than they made in the past. You were limited in what you could offer. I think that's gone now. So we really are in, in brand new territory. And, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Diego Fagundes does get, because I don't think you there is anything 
comparable to his situation that we've seen in the past, and just because the rules have changed too. He is setting the market in a lot of ways. And uh, for those of us who are interested in MLS contract nerd stuff, um, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch uh, Diego Fagundes just as a case study. Well, one point, too, if, I, if you don't mind me adding on. Going into the 2020 season, Diego Fagundes, uh, you know, going into a contract year, he sees Michael Mancy and take a pay cut. But his pay cut goes down to, I think, 470 base, maybe like a 600K salary for the year, something like that. And you want to talk about like not making an impact in the season compared to you know what Diego has been able to do. Michael Mancian played 316 minutes in 2020, uh, and none of those minutes were necessarily that great. I would say they may not have been as poor as previous years, but they definitely weren't great. And he's coming in and he's making that kind of money. Uh, Diego Fagundes coming in, probably comparable quality, um, different positions, of course, but almost three times as many minutes, 970 minutes for Diego Fagundes. And he's saying, well, if this guy can go over here and get 470 to 600K, where's my money? Where's my check? Uh, and so, you know, that might be some of what, you know, the Fagundes camp is going through when they're, they're seeing similar scenarios on, on the, the same exact team. And I, uh, I think we got different numbers. I have 400,000 for Ma- Michael Mantian. Maybe it was 400,475. Uh, for Mancian this season, but your your point stands. That's more than double of what Diego Fagundes is making. And you know what? I can do you one better. Diego Fagundes probably pointed to the Revolution bringing Juan Agadello back for the what was it 2018 or 2019 season when he was a free agent. And Juan Agadello said, "I'm going to try. I'm going to go to Europe." And the Revs brought him back on six hundred thousand, and he wasn't an impact player. I mean, he he was he was almost Diego Fagundes quality at that point. So uh, I bet he pointed to that, uh, thinking that he'd get a Mike Burns type handout uh, for the you know hometown special. Um, but he didn't. So, uh, and one other note before I move on, I, I think this entire time, Matt Turner is looking at his agent who got him a four year, $200,000 contract and just saying, Hey man, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm got the same salary. I'm getting the same kind of screwed over. And I, I think Matt Turner is a lot more impactful than Diego Fagundes was in 2015, uh, when he got his new contract. So, uh, a rough week for, for Matt Turner's agent. No one's really bringing that up. So <laughs> I do want to move on. Carlos Hill, one more note. He did have a option. Um, so I assume the initial reports of Carlos Hill signing a two-year contract with two one-year options, um, are th- that initial report is true. So I'm assuming Carlos Hill also has one for next year. Uh, but it sounds like Carly Seal wants a new contract. Uh, and, and according to Charlie Davies, there has been some conversation about the contract. Chris, I'll, I'll start with you. Should a Carly Seal contract extension be a priority for the revolution this offseason? Yeah, I've said this in the past before, too, where with regarding Carly Seal, I think the Revs just need to, you know, basically open open the checkbook, sign a check and give it to him. He's that type of player where you absolutely need him on the field. You need this this guy to be a part uh, of the team and you know to build around this player as well that said the only caveat is make sure he's staying healthy um if if we can get through you know half of 2020 uh 2021 whatever year we're going into at least half of the season and he's healthy and he's producing at carly's heel levels open that checkbook hand it over to him say write down a number and let's keep you on how long do you want to stay completely agree with that he's he's going to be 28 this season 
Um, hypothetically, he has two options, 28, 29. He's still going to have a lot left to give when he's 30, 31, 32. I think this is a guy that you have to try to lock up long term now so you don't end up in a situation where, you know, he's he's in a, you know he's six months away from being able to walk away and he's able to talk to other teams and, about what they could give them. The Revs have an opportunity to lock him up long term while they send her contract. I think they should try to do that. Um, and, you know, it kind of, it, to, to Chris's point, it goes back to, you know, keeping Carly's heel healthy and to do so, I think that's that's where it would make a lot of sense to, you know, sign Lee Wynn one more year. So, you know, maybe every fourth game you give Carly's heel a rest and let Lee Wynn get a start if Lee Wynn's willing to do that role and being kind of the, the, the rotational guy. So you're not burning out Carly's heel because Carly's heel is, is so important to the revolution. Um, we saw this season when Carly's heel is out, you know, they're a completely different team. So uh, find a way to sign him long term before you get to the point where there's, you know, six months left and um, he's looking at his other options. Yeah, the Rams get TAM every year. They're, they get about $2.8 million in TAM this season, and you have four transfer windows to use that. Uh, and you can use TAM towards re-signing uh, a designated player. So if they aren't going to be making any huge TAM signings, they might be you know, bringing in some uh, international players, but no, no one necessarily uh, on, you know, with DP money uh, or, or transfer fees to that extent. So we might see, you know, it might be a good window to use some TAM on re-signing Carlos Hill. Uh, and, and tacking on a few more years to that contract because uh, you certainly don't want him going into next season with one year left on his contract and looking to Europe if he's put up another uh, best MLS 11 season. So, and, and and you might you might have to replace Gustavo Bo after next season, I think. And if and if you do, you don't want to have to replace Carles Hill too. Absolutely, good point. Uh, let's get to some listener questions here. Raleigh Revs fan says, "What do you see Tayon's position long term? Can he become our right back of present and future? If if they." Uh, is that what you think his role is? So, Sean, I'll go to you first. What do you think of Tayon at right back? Um, I, I, I go back and forth on this. I was I was convinced after a couple games in the playoffs that um, that was a good long term idea. Um, I'm less convinced now, but you know, still, if I if I look at the Revs' options at right back right now between Brandon By. Dewan Jones and and Tejan Buchanan. I think Tejan Buchanan absolutely has the highest ceiling at right back. Um, and if you have a midfield where you know Carles Heel is going to maybe be playing to the right of Gustavo Bo, and Gustavo Bo is kind of playing more of a you know withdrawn forward, you know not a number ten, but kind of playing in that central position, then it makes a lot of sense to put Tejan Buchanan there. So I you know I, I said it before, if the Revolution are going to be playing the same system next season. Um, I do think long-term it makes sense to, to continue to pay Tejan Buchanan there. And I do think he is the Revs best option at right back. Um, with, with that said, I don't think it would be a bad idea for the revolution to, to find a veteran right back. That's more experienced in the position to at least give them another option there going forward. Josh and I asked us, do you see the revolution revolution transferring Matt Turner overseas this off season? And if so, do you think they'll look to bring in someone to fill the role or look from within? Uh, so I, I, actually, I might kind of take the lead on this one because I, I think I can put a stamp on this one pretty quickly. But as I just hinted a second ago, Matt Turner signed a, an extension in 2019. He's got three more years of team control, according to Julian Cardillo. Uh, and, uh, you know, right now, pandemic, I, I don't think a lot of clubs have a lot of money lying around. And I think, you know, you're going to have to pay above market value to get the revolution to give up Matt Turner, who's on a pretty team friendly contract. Um, you know, he's not using any TAM. 
you know, he's on a pretty good contract for them for, for one of the best goalkeepers in the league who, who might be going to the United States men's national team, which is also very marketable uh, from a team that wants to grow on the Boston sports media landscape. So um, I, I think it's going to be very, very tough for a team to pry Matt Turner away from the revolution, um, whether or not Matt Turner likes it or not. So I, I think Matt Turner is more likely getting a, another contract extension than getting sold this offseason. So um, Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, similar to what you said, uh, I think it's, it's going to be difficult for any team to come in and take him away, but I think any team out there that's going to be in need of a goalkeeper has been looking at Matt Turner. Uh, what he's been doing for the revolution has just really been remarkable, especially coming from such a non-soccer background. Uh, you just don't you don't see that sort of rise happen ever. Um, he had a 75 or 76 percent save uh, percentage this season, which is really good. Uh, it's his second highest save percentage in his MLS career uh, behind only last year. And that's only by like one tenth or one one hundredth of a point, I should say. Um, so it's, you know, he's showing that there's consistency there. Any team that needs a keeper should be coming in looking for him. The price is going to be high. And that's what's going to, that's the only thing that's going to stop any team from coming in and, and buying him. I don't know what his value would be. I would say, complete speculation guess here you know somewhere in the six seven million dollar range is probably what the revs would want for him because they he is going to be such a marquee player for this team going forward and they're going to want big bucks if any team is going to come in and pry him out i think uh, julian cardillo has a has a market and value of four million or something like that the number would have to at least start at four million so uh, mm-hmm. i think that's six to seven million was zach stefan money and I, I i think you're right that that if i'm bruce arena that's the money i'm looking forward to uh, sell Matt Turner. But Sean, real quick, what do you think about Matt Turner? Yeah, I just think that you brought up a, a great point, and that's that Matt Turner um, probably has a future with the U.S. national team, and you know that future might be this year. I don't think he's going to unseat Zach Steffen, but he has every opportunity to get a lot of appearances this season. You know, I wouldn't rule out him being transferred in the offseason, but I think it's unlikely. I think the, the value that the Rebs have for him is going to be higher than the value that other teams have for him. And I think his value is going to go way up if he gets an opportunity to play multiple games for the U.S. national team and does well. And I think Bruce Arena knows that. So I think, you know, we might not see him be transferred this offseason, but we might see him, you know, get a chance in the Gold Cup next year to have a run and he might do really well. And that might drive his value up to that six or seven million that the Revolution value him at. And they might get that next offseason. Um, so, you know, I don't think Matt Turner is going to be on the Revolution forever. I think he is going to end up in Europe someday. Um, but I think next offseason is probably more likely than this offseason you know, or, or maybe even this summer. You know, you never know. European teams offseason is in the summer um, and they might look to bring in a goalkeeper at the preseason to, to help them out. And, you know, maybe Matt Turner gets a run in the Gold Cup and that leads to a team wanting to make an offer for him that meets the Revolution's valuation. I think the Gold Cup point is, is very interesting, too, because I, I think a lot of European teams, if he gets a few appearances here and there, I, again, I don't think he'll supplant Stefan, but just being called up to the Gold Cup, I, I think, is a pretty, pretty uh, good sign and, and boosts a little bit of value uh, for the Revs. So, Revolution Central asks, what qualities should the Revs be going after in a central defensive midfielder? Assuming that is one of the positions Bruce is prioritizing. I assume that is one of the positions Bruce is prioritizing. Sean, what should the Revs be looking for in a central defensive midfielder? I think they need someone that can have the influence on a game that the Revolution have only seen from two players, and that's Shari Joseph and Jermaine Jones. Now, those players are very difficult to get, but I, I think they need a central midfielder that can, you know, 
both plug plug gaps and and win balls in dangerous situations and know where to be to make interceptions, but also a guy that can play a huge part in the team's possession game and not just play side to side passes, but pay, play those defense splitting passes. You know, there's some guys in the Revolution roster that have occasionally been able to do that. Even Wilfred Zahibo, we saw at times, was occasionally able to do that. They need someone that can do that with consistency, and they need someone that's not going to turn the ball over, over under pressure. Um, you know, the Revolution have had two really, really dominant players in this position that have been the standard bearers for the team and have set the bar really high in Jermaine Jones and Sharby Joseph. And, you know, maybe you can't get somebody that has quite that amount of influence, but you need something closer to that because I don't think anyone on the current roster, um, you know, is even a poor man's version of that. Um, so you, that, that's what I think the revolution need a guy that's going to, you know, perhaps lead the team in touches from that position and do so in a way where he plays a huge role in transitioning defense to offense and, and, you know, plugging the gaps and, and winning those interceptions. Um, I've long said that that's the position that the revolution could, that could change the revolution team the most is from, from an influence standpoint. Um, and I think that's what they need to focus on in the off season. Chris, anything to add? Yeah. So I have in my notes here, it's, uh, it's a pretty pretty simple answer. It's a large Scott Caldwell. Um, a player like Scott Caldwell that that plays the possession style, that plays that makes smart decision. That you know he knows where to be on the pitch at all the time at the right spot at all the right times. Um, but the one thing that Scott Caldwell is lacking, you know, is going to be impossible for him to acquire via skill or anything like that. It's you know it's all genetics. It's size and. The whole Revolution midfield in general is lacking that. It's hard to win a lot of aerial duels in the middle of the pitch. And without that, you know, that size presence, we're going to really, we're going to lose a lot of challenges just in that, in that middle third in general. Um, So if you can get a player like Scott Caldwell, maybe a Scott Caldwell, Wilfred Zahibo hybrid, um, that's the player that, they should be targeting. I don't know who that player is, um, but we, we we need to go find him. And we got another question here too from John Pilkington, who asked a question earlier. But what position do we need the most improvement? Uh, so Chris, I'll spin it right back to you here in a second. But if you're the Revs, if you're Bruce Arena, what areas are you looking to improve? Yeah. So I mean, this might be more of a bold take because the position that I want to improve upon here. Um, was the 2020 golden boot scorer, you know, the, the Teal Bunbury left mid spot. Uh, yes, he bagged eight goals for us this year, which is absolutely fantastic, but that's not necessarily what you want that position to be producing at. Um, he doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what, what you need. He, we need a lot more chances created there. He only had one assist to go along with his eight goals all year. And we have DPs that we have signed to score goals. Uh, we need somebody that's going to be able to provide the ball to those designated players in goal-scoring spots. And I love Teal Bunbury. I'm not going to say anything negative about him. I definitely want him to be involved in the team, and I think that he needs to be involved. But I think that position that he's playing needs more of a just more of a playmaking. Um, playmaking player there so that's that's my biggest upgrade i know there's a lot of spots that maybe need upgrade but we, you know you know defensive midfield we have caicedo coming back um again I, I was saying we could use some height there um but there's pretty good depth throughout the entire 11 um my my biggest problem is getting the ball into the box 
And, you know, we've tried it with Kakuta Mane, tried it with Christian Pania, tried it with Teal Bunbury, and it's it's not working for any of them down that left side. Diego Fagundes is a free agent. Maybe we can uh, add him to the <laughs> I think he's too expensive for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think I agree with Chris. That's number two on my list. I think number one on my list is, is still you know, either a number six or a number eight. I think, again, you know, you have a lot of depth in that position. There's a lot of guys there, but I don't think any of them are the guy. I think all of them are good complementary pieces as a number two. Um, but I think, you know, that's the position that they need the, the biggest upgrade in. And and then I think, you know, I agree with Chris. And then I think the fullback spots, uh, I think the hope is that the players you have there now continue to develop into becoming better players at those roles, because I do think they need improvement there. But I think the hope is that it comes from development rather than new players. And then I think just, depth at center back especially if Mancy and De La Maya are gone do you think Dewan Jones is the future at left back or do you think Alexander Butner is going to take that back and we're going to move on from Dewan I, I still think Dewan is the long-term future at left back but I, I do expect if Butner is healthy that we're going to see a lot of them there next year Seth McComer did uh, make a point today that Dewan Jones is right-footed uh, and, and Bruce typically wants a left-footed left back uh, so I, I wonder, you know, if Dewan Jones is more of a right back, but I don't know that that right side is pretty crowded. I think Dewan Jones, I, I still think he would be very valuable as a winger uh, to push up, but I don't know. He he seems to fit left back pretty well overall, so I, I'm not too upset if that's where he is stuck. There's there's never seemed to have been any interest in trying him as a winger since he's been on the Revolution. There's been opportunities where it seems like it would have made sense to give him a like a, a run out. Or he's been on the bench. There's been an, a chance, and there's never seemed to be any appetite to even try him as a winger, which I I find fascinating. But I also take to mean that we're never going to see him there. I'm going to die on the hill that he is meant for the Kakuta Mene come in in 65th minute and burn past tired legs uh, type winger role, but. It, may, it would make sense. We just never see it. Never going to see it. And then I've been saying that for two coaches now, so I guess I'm wrong. But TSB11 says, any rumors on Bruce's priority targets? I'm especially interested in central midfielders. Uh, and Quite Rev says, any ideal transfer targets with actual names for the first team would be great. Um, you know, we don't, I don't know any rumors. If we knew rumors, uh, you know, we'd be, we'd be getting paid for this. Uh, you know, Bruce keeps all of his, uh, his signings very, very secretive. And, um, even the guys that are on the beat, so to speak, uh, are, are, you know, not in the know about those types of things, uh, to the point where when someone does get a scoop before the team announces it, it's pretty, pretty impressive overall. So, um, I don't have any rumors outside of Boyan that we heard a couple of weeks ago. I did check up on Petrus Bumal who did sign with a team in Turkey. So I, I think we can cross him off the list. He was a, a transfer target from this past summer. Um, in terms of ideal names that I was looking at, I was looking through the MLS free agents, and one name that I thought was uh, pretty interesting was Will Trapp uh, is a free agent with Miami. He's been tied to Minnesota um, to replace uh, Alonzo up there, Ozzy Alonzo, but um, I think Will Trapp would be a pretty interesting signing for the Revs. He's still only, I think, 27 or 28, uh, you know, former you know U.S. men's national team pool player, so I think Bruce Arena has a bit of a rapport with him. Um, I, I think that might be the type of signing that the Revs are, are looking to go out, not necessarily a DP or, or a TAM signing, uh, but you could probably bring him in on, I don't know, 500000 or so um, just to stabilize that midfield. 
Yeah, I mean, he he had he had a down year last year for sure, and we know Bruce Arena is a guy that likes to have reclamation projects for some guys. And uh, uh, you know, I I thought he was older than twenty seven. I think he turns twenty eight next year. But you know, go, going back to Chris's point that I agree with, he's another five foot eight central midfielder. Um, so you still have that that lack of height problem that the Revolution have had in central midfield. And going back to the original question, I don't know any rumors either and what position the Revolution are, are trying to sign. But I think you can read between the lines and see what Bruce Arena did last year with his trades. And he kept trying to make moves in that central midfield spot, whether it was you know bringing in Kellen Rowe, making a trade to, to bring in Tommy McNamara, bringing in Lee Wynn, you know, Lee Wynn more of a 10 than, than it is six or eight, but still kind of a you know central midfield player, um, you know, moving on from Wilfred Zahibo. And then he brought in Matt Polster, and then Matt Polster was on the bench a lot. He kind of lost his starting spot. So I, I don't think it's unfair to draw the conclusion that Bruce Arena is not happy with that position either. And I think I think it is if you're if you're gonna project and read between the lines, I think it's a safe bet to say that Bruce Arena is, is thinking about that position. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I've been trying to think about a player that would fit into this role, and I'm having a really hard time like pinning down a specific name. Um, my approach to it would probably be a little bit different than Bruce Arena's, I guess, because Bruce Arena does like his MLS veterans. Um, but I'm, you know, again, my key takeaway was looking at those international spots that we have available. I know we have money to spend. Um, and then I'm looking down at, um, like Miami. Okay. I know they, they got a ton of extra allocation money because they were, um, they were a new team for 2020, but, uh, they got, uh, Matweedy on a TAM deal, I think it is. And so is there a name similar to like a Matweedy that we might be able to find out there, maybe an older player that would fit the role of what we need? Um, you know, the player that comes to mind is Marwan Fellaini, but I think he's playing in China or something like that now. And he's probably, if he's in China, he's making buku bucks. But um, a, a player like that, you want a, an experienced, tall CDM. Um, and I would love to see, you know, like a former Prem player come over with, you know, bring that experience over uh, and, and just really command the midfield. Uh, as a, that, would be, that would be like my dream as like a Fellaini type. CDM, but I don't have a specific name for who they might target. It just, you know, one, one kind of like thing to looking at Bruce arena again is it it sounds crazy, but I wouldn't be surprised and it's not an exciting sign, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Jeff Ronowitz, who's going to be 38 soon, come back to the revolution. That's the type of signing that Bruce arena hasn't been against in his career. He, you know, he played a a 38 year old Greg Berhalter at the LA galaxy. He's never been a guy that shied away from veterans. And I don't think that would necessarily be a terrible move to have a veteran. If you bring him back at a lower salary, this isn't the, the game changing central midfielder move to be clear. This is the, you know, veteran depth. It, it wouldn't shock me if we see a guy like a Jeff Ronowitz or even if we see them make a move for an Ozzy Alonso at 35. Um, it's a relatively young revolution side overall. There there aren't many guys on the, the wrong side of 30. And Bruce Arena has been a guy that has very much shown a willingness to sign guys on the wrong side of 30 and, and plug them in. So don't be shocked if now that the, you know, the, the floodgates are open and there's no two-player limit on MLS free agents you can sign that we see more guys like that, or, you know, Matt Beasler has been a name that's been branded about. I don't think Matt Beasler would be a great signing. Um, the reason he's leaving Kansas city is because his play has kind of fallen off the map over the past two years, but 
that wouldn't be a move that would surprise me if you know Bruce Arena moved on from Mancian and De La Mea and went to Matt Beasler. Now I I don't I don't love that move, but that's the type of thing that you know again not the the game changing move. I think Bruce Arena is going to have to go out there and, and sign a more expensive player to to upgrade the team. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing bench depth roles more of those filled this year with MLS veterans that are on the wrong side of thirty. And another guy too is uh, Kendall Watson. Watson, not Watson, as I call him all the time, but Kendall Watson of uh, FC Cincinnati was let go uh, basically because of a high salary. His 2019 number was 625000 But if we're talking about Matt Beasler, who's 33 and was making 575000 uh, in 2019, uh, I think uh, we should add Watson, who is 32 uh, in that category as well as kind of a third center back uh, to kind of get a spot start here and there and kind of fill the Tony De La Mayer role. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with all of that, too. I wish we had more leads, uh, but as I say, Fortress Foxborough uh, applies to transfer rumors as well. Um, with that said, I do expect, you know, them to move fast. It seems like Bruce Arena has his targets. He's trying to bring them in. I mean, it's currently, what, December 13th? Um, I, I think we're going to be talking about a signing before the end of the year. Uh, so I, I do expect Bruce Arena and the Revs to kind of move fast, uh, and, and we'll probably be talking about it in a few weeks. So um, what are Mike D asks us, what should the expectations be for next season? Would a run short of the Eastern Conference be a failure or a step back? Uh, and James Downing kind of on the other side has a similar question. He says, I wonder if the Revs are further away from being a t- contender than we think, So many, uh, since so many teams were without key players uh, and TFC was going through so much uh, during the playoffs. So uh, talking about expectations next year, Chris, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you think the Revs' expectations should be? And if they don't get to the same spot, do you think that's a failure? Uh, so yes and no. Um, I think putting weight into the way that the playoff structure is now a single elimination is going to be really hard to say, oh, it's a failure because we lost in the first game. You might have just had a bad game. Um, it happens. And now we don't have, you know, we don't have the two legs, the home and away to really find out you know, to get the better of the two. It's just such a crazy scenario. Uh, I do think the expectation of reaching an MLS Cup should be there. We should have that type of team. Uh, But if even if we get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, I think our expectations need to be where we sit in the Eastern Conference. If we're not a top four team, I don't think that this team is making progress. Um, We were... Top two in the league this year when it comes to the playoff standings uh, where we finished. And that was with everybody healthy. Uh, and obviously we were a post and a couple other shots away from making an MLS Cup. So we really should have uh, very high expectations next year. And I think if you can't hit fourth or better in the Eastern Conference, that's going to be a disappointment. And I think that's where that's where the main expectation lies. Yeah, I, I know. I think I think the goal has been set this year. They made it to the Eastern Conference final, um, you know, Bruce Arena's first full season. And now he's got another offseason to make this team better. So I think the expectation is that they do at least as good as they did last year. Um, you know, with that said, that, you know, great point that Toronto FC, you know, they're a team that spends a lot of money. I don't think I think they're going to be a good team next year. They, you know, they fell apart in the playoffs, but I think they're going to be a good team next year. You know, Atlanta had a terrible year, um, but they're, they're a team that wants success and they have owners that are going to make sure they get success. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were this year. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be a lot better next year. The Columbus crew, you know, 
they thoroughly outclassed the revolution in the Eastern Conference final. And then they went on to win MLS Cup by the biggest margin of victory that there's ever been in an MLS Cup. So, you know, I, I don't see any reason why they're going to, you know, not be just as good next year, too. Um, so there are a lot of really good teams in the Eastern Conference. I think, you know, New York City FC, another team with really high expectations that I think will be better next year. Um, so I, I think the revolution, you know, to, to consider next year a success need to go at least as far as they went this year. Um, and maybe that's an unfair expectation because I do think the East is going to get better, but you know, if Carly's heel is healthy all year, they were a team that was missing some of their key guys this season due to health. So if, if they're healthy next year, I think that needs to be at least the goal. And if they don't reach it, um, maybe calling it a failure is harsh, but there's you know certainly reason to be disappointed um, because they, they set those expectations this season in which they had a lot of things going against him and in which Bruce Arena, you know, had his first full off season. And now year two is where you want to see them get even better. So um, yeah, it's fair to expect at least the same as last year. See, I, I'm more of the James Downing uh, than Mike B stance on this because I think the Rebs could get better in 2021, but still, you know, get knocked out or potentially miss the playoffs. I feel like there's a lot of sleeping giants in the Eastern Conference. You kind of talked about this, Sean. Atlanta, Miami, TFC, all those teams are probably going to be a stronger team going into next season. Um, you know, Philadelphia, I expect to kind of fall off the map with Aronson and, and McKenzie leaving, uh, but you wonder how they're going to reinvest that money. Um, Nashville had a pretty strong run kind of towards the end of the, the season uh, this year, and, you know, I, I assume they're only going to get better in year two. Um, Columbus is the defending MLS Cup champions. Uh, and then you, you mentioned New York City FC. I mean, do the Red Bulls uh, kind of restock for, for next season? So, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of teams that are in a position to strengthen their squads and do a little bit better. Um, I know there's a few teams that are falling off Philadelphia. I think Orlando might fall off a little bit too. They have some ownership questions there. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure how much improving they're going to be doing this season. But, you know, it's very possible that the Revs end up in a, you know, five, six seed next year because some teams just kind of pass them uh, or they get healthy uh, and the Revs get knocked out one round sooner, um, even though they bring in some more players and strengthen their squad. So um, it's it's hard for me to say that, uh, uh, you know, ending up in the Eastern Conference Finals would be a failure, um, but it, it certainly would be disappointing, especially seeing the potential that the team has now. So uh, Real, uh, Real Me MP asks us, what's Brad Friedel's legacy today? Uh, so, you know, I think Brad Friel in the end got a few things right with Matt Turner. We've certainly uh, taken some shots at him uh, in the past. Sean, I'll go to you. What is Brad Friedel's legacy today and has anything changed for you recently? I mean, he he was a terrible coach. He's still a terrible coach, but he gets credit for giving Matt Turner his first chance to actually play. Um, he wasn't the one that brought Matt Turner in. Jay Heaps was, but he, he was the one that gave him a chance to play. And then he certainly gets credit for whatever his involvement was in bringing in Carly's heel. Um, other than that, I don't have too much to give him credit for. And I think, you know, uh, just, you know, building on the Matt Turner thing, Matt Turner, you know, gave him some credit for, you know, after one of the playoff games quoted Brad Friedel. So, uh, he was influential on Matt Turner. We, we talked about in past episodes. So I, I, I give him credit for, for some of Matt Turner and I give him credit for his involvement in Carly's heel. <laughs> other than that, I don't have much to give him credit for. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat as that, you know, as far as, the Brad Friedel's legacy, I guess I, I'd like to see him maybe get a GM role somewhere um, because I think that he does deserve the recognition for the Matt Turner and for the Carly's heel moves that he's made. Um, again, coaching, I don't think he needs to be near a sideline again. Um, I, I, his, his, his performance speaks for itself uh, from that standpoint. But as far as being the GM role, maybe building a roster, 
you know, there might be something to it. He brought in uh, Christian Pania too, I think. And um, that was really good from the start, at least. Um, so I, I give him credit for a good move there. And if for every Carlos Heel and Matt Turner, we're going to get a Guillermo Hauche and uh, Christian Machado, I'll take that. You know, I'll take one bad signing for a great signing or one one terrible move for a great move every day. And uh, you can't forget uh, MLS All-Star Wilfred Zahibo, um, I believe, was also a, uh, a Brad Friedel-era signing. Yeah, Zahibo for Claude Dielma. You know, you can swap those out too. Right? <laughs> it, it is kind of tough to judge because we're talking about players that have been brought in the, the, the Brad Friedel era. And you do have to wonder if he was given more control, if Mike Burns wasn't there, would that have been a little bit better? Because he, he talks all the time about how he would have done a little bit more roster turnover. And, you know, I think on the player acquisition side, I think you're right, Chris, that, you know, maybe we'd have a little bit of a, a better conversation that he brought in Carly's heel and, and whatnot. Um, but the problem was he's, he wasn't the coach here. He or he wasn't the GM here. He was the coach. Um, and, and he was bad. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it, it wasn't, the results were, were pretty terrible. He started out good. Um, but I think if you go go back, they benefited from a lot of red cards uh, when he started here. I mean, his record was piss poor. And, um, you know, I'm sure Matt Turner a lot, learned a lot from him. He's probably an excellent goalkeeper coach. Um, I think if he ended up being like the goalkeeper coach for the USU 20 or something like that, he'd probably be really good at that. Um, but he kind of came in with this kind of hard-ass mentality with no experience as a coach. Um, it all kind of backfired on him really, really suddenly. Um, and yeah, I, 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 there's not a whole lot you can say of the role he was in. He, he really didn't succeed. So um, I think Matt Turner, yeah, maybe he might get some credit for it. And Carly's heel, he certainly des- deserves a lot of credit for him because it seemed like he was a, a person that um, Friedel had connections to and Friedel made happen. So I think you have to give him credit for Carly's heel. But outside of that, I don't think his legacy has changed a whole lot more uh, since you know, because of this run and, and because of Carly's heels um, impact on the team. I, I just, I, I don't really think he's going to be thought of very fondly uh, beyond that. Now, on the topic of Claude Dielna too, it's, it's crazy to think in 2018, we only had one designated player on the, on the roster. And that was Claude Dielna. And to think about today where we are, the growth that we've had, uh, especially after uh, Brad Friedel has left uh, has just been, exponential it's been insane uh to go from one one designated player who is not even in the league anymore three years later uh to now having three pretty solid designated players on your roster is uh pretty impressive but i guess i guess the other way to flip his legacy is that he was so bad that he embarrassed the crafts enough to get them to open up their checkbook more to, <laughs> to, to go out and sign a guy like bruce arena they knew they couldn't do another inexperienced coach that would be as terrible as Brad Friedel was. So I guess that's part of his legacy too, is that he was just so terrible. Uh, he helped make sure that Bruce Serena was the next revolution coach. I don't know if, if you had, you know, if you had a, someone, you know, a Jay heaps as coach for those two years, if the result would ended up being going to Bruce Serena, I, I think that was part of that was a reaction to, we are so terrible right now. We, we can't afford to do this again. We need to spend the money to get somebody like Bruce Serena. So in, in a way that's part of his legacy. Well, and, and we talked about this a few years ago. I remember someone saying, you know, who's to blame for this mess? And really, there's bl- there's blame all the way around because Mike Burns certainly shouldered some blame. Robert Kraft shouldered some blame. And Brad Friedel shouldered some blame. And, and, and you know, it's tough for me to completely dump on Brad Friedel because I think Mike Burns, he was brought in as someone I think Mike Burns thought would, uh, you know, 
I don't want to say control, uh, but an ally of Mike Burns, so to speak. And it was such a disaster. I think, as you say, Robert Kraft realized, you know, this is not a way to run a, a soccer franchise. So doesn't speak highly of Brad Friedel very much. And, and I, I don't think he deserves all the blame that he gets. Um, but I, he was not ready to coach a team of that level. Uh, TSB11 says, who from Revs2 is primed to make the jump to the first team? And I think we got an answer to that today. Um, John Bell signed, well, he didn't sign a contract, uh, but the Revs traded for John Bell's college rights, uh, who, you know, San Jose drafted him last year. Here, I'll go into the story. When you draft a player, you have their MLS rights for two years, essentially two MLS seasons. So even if a player does not sign with the MLS team and they go to a USL side, um, if they wanted to go back to MLS, essentially you need that team's consent or you need to acquire their rights. Uh, so for example, uh, I know Ryo Shimazaki, who was a uh, Revs 2 right back last season, if the Revs wanted to sign him, they would have had to have traded with Columbus to get his college rights. So that's essentially what's happened here with John Bell. He was drafted by San Jose, uh, and the Revs have acquired his college rights for a fourth-round Super Draft pick in 2022, which that the fourth round of the 2022 Super Draft might not even exist. Uh, so this is essentially a free trade. The Revs are just more or less making it a formality. I assume this is to sign John Bell to a uh, first-team contract. It might be just to do it, to have it. Uh, and you know, As I say, uh, the Revs have his MLS rights for one more year, uh, essentially, so it, it might be... If they want to sign him during the season, uh, that's what they do. But I would say John Bell has moved to the front of the line to Revs two players who might get a MLS contract. Um, I, do you guys have any names you want to throw out there as potentially making the jump? I, I know I got two names in mind. One of them would be Tiago Mendonca, uh, 25-year-old defensive midfielder. Uh, last year was his first season as a professional player, um, and he looked really good. Um, he's, you know, to have your first year as a professional being 25 years old and being in USL one is not necessarily the best sign. Um, but he's a Portuguese player, um, who brings, he brings a lot of tenacity to the pitch and he definitely showed that he has the ability to score, uh, from distance. If you give him space, you know, he's going to take the shot. I've seen him do it several different times. I've seen him dribble in the box which is something that you don't see very often as a defensive midfielder. Um, but he defensively as well has been pretty um, uh, pretty sound uh, de- defender as well. Uh, so he would be my first choice. Uh, I just don't know how he would fit right now in an already muddied midfield with uh, presumably some bigger name coming in down the line. Um, but then my, my other choice is going to be uh, Joe Rice, because we don't have Jeff Caldwell anymore. Uh, Joe Rice, I, I I didn't look up his age. I should have done that beforehand, because if he doesn't fit into... If he would have to be on the senior roster, then maybe it wouldn't make sense. But Joe Rice showed the ability to really be a flashy goaltender. He made two or three uh, save-of-the-week um, plays uh, for USL League One, and I'm pretty sure he also won save-of-the-year. Um, for a, it was a game against uh, the Flamingos there. I forget what they're forward, uh, Madison. forward Madison. Yes. So and and it was such such a good save. I think we lost that game like four to one. But uh, I dig I digress on that point. Joe Rice has really showed that he he can be a shot stopper. I I got nothing to add to that list other than you know, the John Bell move. 
makes sense if only in, in the sense that the revolution have room for for depth at center back so if he, you know if he showed something uh for revs to that's a position that it makes sense to to bring somebody up especially if de LeMay and mancian are gone there could be some minutes there i'd be surprised if this is the only center back they acquire i still think they need a third right. center back so i think Rafuth is number four and john bell is number five but it's worth noting that john bell is also a natural left back uh so you know we talk about you know how the revs were kind of short at outside back kind of in the playoffs um you know he's a left-footed left back um i, I hate to say this because i feel this is insulting to seth sinovic but he might fill the seth sinovic role he might replace seth sinovic as emergency left back um you know if no one else is available uh so uh, yeah I, I think he might be a third string left back behind jones and bootner um and, and kind of bootner insurance if if he goes down and hurt for the season uh while also kind of playing a fifth center back role i, I really don't expect to see him get many minutes even if he is signed to a first team contract um, but it's certainly encouraging and uh that the you know getting getting his college rights is a step towards signing him i can't see many reasons to doing that um and in terms of joe rice his age would have to uh would would force them to move him to the senior roster which i think is a, a pretty significant um hurdle because I, I do think joe rice would be a perfect uh third string goalkeeper that you could keep playing at revs too um for, for game days while knighton and turner uh hold down uh the uh the goalkeeping duties in the 18 um but alas we also got a comment from Quite Revs. He said, I'd like to hear some talk about the uh, players who just signed for Revs 2. I'll go through this really, really quickly, but the Revs 2 signed four players. Actually, I think they signed two new players that I haven't done uh, any research on, so I'll skip those two. Uh, but Sean O'Hearn, who uh, was signed an outside back out of Georgetown, um, I, I think that's a pretty significant signing because anyone who knows anything about college soccer, Georgetown is uh, one of the best teams in the country. So I, I think automatically um, that's going to be a guy who is going to be an impact player for Revs 2. Uh, Michael DeShields, DeShields um, who's a center back out of Wake Forest, goalkeeper Marquez Puckerin, uh, and then they signed a Revolution Academy product, Colby, uh, boy, I'm going to mispronounce this, Quinones, um, who is a new Bedford, New Hampshire native. Um, I know he made an impact at right back last season, uh, so I expect him to kind of hold that down. He's only, I think, 17 or 18, yeah, 17 years old, uh, so that might be a long-term prospect for the Revs, um, although... As I say, I can't imagine they move him up to the first team anytime soon with the the depth uh, at right back. Uh, O'Hearn and DeShields are both 22 years old. Um, as I say, I think O'Hearn is a left back. As I say, that that's going to be a player to watch for Revs too. Um, the name I'm most excited about is Puckerin, who uh, he trained with the Atlanta United uh, Atlanta United's academy. Um, he also trained in Europe with Aberdeen and West Ham United. So he's very very well traveled. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how much they divide time between him and Joe Rice because. As Chris said, Joe Rice had such a stellar season uh, and his option was exercised. You would think Puckerin is the better long-term prospect who has more of a chance of breaking into the first team. Uh, so I, I expect them to maybe rotate. I know they rotated Keegan Meyer and Joe Rice a little bit last year. And Keegan Meyer's not around anymore, right? He, they, they let him go, I think. The two uh, players they drafted um, last year, uh, Simon LeCressner, who I think was hurt uh, for most of the season, uh, mm -hmm. and Keegan Meyer, uh, both were let go by Revs too. I, I don't think they made much of an impact uh, last season. So neither of those guys will be back. Uh, their, their term with the, the revolution are over. And I also know Ryo Shimazaki, uh, has gone for the season, uh, has left. So he, he was not resigned either. Uh, the Revs did sign two new players. I think this week, uh, one of them was Francis Dulisi, uh, and another was Michael Costa da Silva. Um, Dulisi came out of Manhattan college, uh, after beginning at UCF, uh, and Michael Costa da Silva as a um, Brazilian, who is 18 years old, I guess he's turning 19 soon, uh, but he is teammates with Maciel, so uh, the Revs have a nice little Brazil pipeline 
uh, coming in. Uh, I can't say I've watched much tape on either of them. Uh, the signings was made four days ago, so I'm a little behind the ball on those two signings. But overall, O'Hearn is the guy you're going to want to keep an eye out for um, just because of his ties to Georgetown. And from what I understand, if he had entered the Super Draft, which I don't know why he was, wasn't in the Super Draft, um, but he, uh, he looked like he was going to be someone that would have gone in uh, round one or two. Uh, so those are kind of the Revs 2 signings of what we know about them now. Overall, I, I don't expect any of them to make an impact on uh, Revs 1, at least for a couple of years. So that does it for listener questions. Uh, one more note before we go. MLS released their 25 greatest players really quick because we were very, very long on time. Sean, uh, how upset are you that uh, Twelman and Shaw Reed did not make the list? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going through the list. I have trouble finding too many faults with it, but I think Shaw Joseph... In particular, and you know, Shari sticks out to me more than Twelman. I know you know Twelman was a fantastic goal scorer, um, but Shari sticks out to me more than Twelman because Shari, I think, was the the best player at his position um, for a, half a dozen years at least as a defensive midfielder, and he dominated in a way that few other players can. Um, and he dominated in a way that none of the other defensive midfielders, I think, on this list even have done it, uh, more so than an Ozzy Alonso, more so than a Kyle Beckerman. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the point I wanted to bring up, too, is when you look at Shari Joseph's career, you know, if and Shari talked about this throughout his career, too. If, if Shari Joseph hadn't been cap-tied to Granada as a teenager, he would have been a regular starter on the U.S. national team. And I think he would have been a guy that would have taken away really any chance for Kyle Beckerman to play on the U.S. national team. And I think it would have been a no-brainer, no contest that Shara Joseph was on this team instead of Kyle Beckerman. You know, I get, you know, Taylor Twelman and how he was uh, such a big name for the revolution and how good he was. But to me, the bigger omission is Shari Joseph because Shari Joseph, just the way he dominated that position and the way he was able to carry the revolution team when they were bad um, is is something that few players in league history have been able to do. And and for that, I think he really deserved to be on this this MLS 25 list. You know, no, he didn't play till he was 40 like Kyle Beckerman's going to do. Uh, but the number of years where he just absolutely dominated are something very, very few players can do. I think if this was a uh, MLS best 26 list, I think Shalry Joseph might have made the list. He, he seemed like he was the one name that people were most upset about, even beyond New England. I think there were a lot of MLS writers who were very confused at how Shalry Joseph, who made MLS best 11 four times, uh, was, was somehow left off of this list overall. And as you say, the comparisons to Beckerman are very interesting because I think a lot of people um, remember him as a legend. Uh, but, you know, comparing the two of them and, and as you say if Shalry Joseph had ended up playing for the United States men's national team would Beckerman be as household uh, a name as he is today uh, I'm not so sure about that so it, the, the MLS 25 list I think honestly did a disservice to defensive midfielders too because I think it's just it's just Beckerman on there right like that's that's kind of <laughs> I think that's almost overlooking a really important position it seems like they went with star power too because I think Joseph Martinez made it which okay but you know he, how long has he been in MLS and you're going to pick him over Twelman? I mean, I don't know. I, I understand it. I understand he's had some big seasons, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that was, uh, you know, maybe Atlanta United fans got to vote on this too. A side note on the Beckerman too is uh, he's 38 years old and now out of contract. Is that something that the Revs look at? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Bruce Arena. That's what at. I'm thinking now. I mean, bring it. He would be a $200,000 a year signing to maybe play one season and to some extent it, would be, it might be good to have that veteran presence in there um but that's the type of signing that I, I i don't think is going to happen but i wouldn't be surprised if it did 
Yeah. Maybe one or two of them. I don't. I'm not saying every. He's, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and sign five 38 year olds, but <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he signed one or two to a one year contract to have that veteran presence to give them, you know, late game minutes to try to close out a game or you know filling in here or there. Has Kyle Beckerman not retired? I don't think he's ever going to retire. Yeah, I, I think it, he's out of contract with RSL. I don't know. I haven't heard any retirement announcement from him. Yeah, I just googled it. I don't know why I assumed he retired. I, I looked at him. He, he shaved his hair and then he kind of disappeared. Yeah, maybe it's like Wando where I just think he's retiring every year and he always just kind of pops back up. But yes. Wando was supposed to retire, but then he decided not to. <laughs> he just keeps coming back. He loves scoring goals and he doesn't have to play Belgium in MLS. So. Yes. <laughs> Before we go, actually, I do want to bring up one more thing. I meant to bring this up during the Revs 2 signings, but I did promise some people on Twitter that we're going to have some supplemental roster talk, so I'll try to keep this short. Uh, We talked about the senior roster, 20 spots, eight of them are currently open. There's really no restrictions with those. I just want to kind of give a quick update of the supplemental roster, how it works. Um, This season, there's going to be kind of three tiers, spots 21 through 24, spots 25 through 28, and then spots 29 and 30. Um, Spots 29 and 30 have to be filled by homegrown players, and right now those are filled by Justin Rennox and Damian Rivera. Uh, Spots 21 through 24 are a mix of things. It could be homegrown players. uh, It could be Generation Adidas players or Super Draft players, uh, and then homegrown players who make a certain amount of money. Uh, So right now those three spots are Taeyeon Buchanan, Scott Caldwell, Henry Kessler. And then 25 through 28 uh, is essentially players that make um, the league minimum, um, it's, it's called the supplemental or the reserve minimum. Uh, and those can be filled by, uh, uh, it's gotta be players who are under the age of 24 or under. Um, and essentially they're either homegrown players or like revs two signings. So right now the revolution have one spot open from 21 to 24. So that's going to be probably one draft pick. I don't expect the revs to sign more than one draft pick. And then 25 through 28, they have three spots open. So John Bell will probably slide into one of those spots. And I could see maybe them signing another revs two player, although I don't expect it. Um, it's a big, that adds to the anking for me, no thing, a little, uh, wrinkle because those guys took up 25 through through 28 spots. Uh, so I'm kind of surprised that they cleared them out because I don't think they really need those roster spots very much. Uh, but just wanted to kind of give an outlook on the supplemental roster spots because we kind of say 6 through 10. I think people can say, oh, we can fill it up with four super draft picks or whatnot. Um, but really the reason why we see super draft picks uh, being used less and less every year is because the rosters are a little bit more and more restrictive every year. Uh, and in terms of the revs, they're only going to be able to sign one super draft pick um, unless MLS changes their rules between now and then, which I could see happening. Uh, but Overall, if you're looking forward to the Super Draft uh, as a Revs fan, um, I, I really wouldn't because they're drafting to come toward the end of the first round, and I don't expect them to add a Tayon Buchanan or Dewan Jones or Henry Kessler uh, this year. I, I think we might sign a Revs 2 player, uh, and maybe they trade up and, and gra- grab a Super Draft player, but I don't expect to see many signings in the supplemental roster section uh, of the roster. So I assume you guys don't have anything to add on top of that. No, it's, it, the, their Super Draft pick is 24, and last year's 24th pick didn't even sign with he was LAFC and didn't even sign with LAFC's second team. So don't don't expect much. Uh, This is the year that we see someone pass on a first round draft pick. I'm pretty convinced of that. Uh, I I don't know where Philly is draft. I think they're drafting like, you know, what, 20th or 19th or 18th or something like that. Um, And and they traded it last year for something like a waiver. They moved up in the waiver allocation. Um, I think we're going to see a pass this year. Uh, just because it used to be the supplemental and reserve rosters were open, all all the spots were open to uh, draft picks, and now it's just 21 through 24. Uh, so, you know, I, in a weird way, MLS is restricting uh, the use of super draft picks, which seems kind of counterintuitive to me because I think people like the super draft. Uh, but 
alas, uh, it's, it's slowly being faded out. So um, that wraps us up here today. Uh, Chris, where can people find you on Twitter? Hey, find me on Twitter at RevsRevolt. You can find me at Sean L. Donahue. All right, and you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter, and also please like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. You can also shoot us an email at uh, revolutionrecap at gmail.com. And if you have not already, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'll be checking in off-season when news comes up, and hopefully we'll have some bonus episodes to help you pass the time. But until then, thank you everyone for listening, and go Revs.